With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello there. So we're back for a full fat pod after running a skeleton service for the past couple of pods during that intense three game weeks in one week period. Mainly me jabbering on at you from random locations, the first from my office and the second from a hotel room in the Netherlands. But now we lock ourselves in for the final tryout of game weeks ahead of the deep breath that is the World Cup break. So much to discuss and much to look forward to. As the proper pod, Lucy's back. You're all right. I'm all right, thank you. I've actually been away in the Netherlands as well this weekend, so I can't promise that my latest footballing insights will be the most informed, but I think we've probably got some bigger topics to discuss anyway. We are Who Got the Assist. You can find Tom on the main account at WGTA underscore FPL, and you can find me, Lucy, at Lucy Hynett with two Ts. On the pod today, we'll be discussing should we zombify our teams After a punishing couple of weeks for many FPL managers, if you didn't have some key differentials, we will have a little post-mortem of the recent intense period to see if we could or should have done anything differently. And in the questions, we'll look ahead to the final three weeks in terms of playstyle and differential picks. Just so you're aware, we're recording in the evening of Tuesday the 25th of October, which is slightly later than our usual Monday night slot, although it does give us the benefit of having all Premier League matches played. Yes, indeed it does. Right. So I think since it's been a little while and because it kind of neatly segues us into the topic at hand in terms of should we zombify our teams, I think it's worth just discussing kind of uh, maybe just doing this game week's review because I have been keeping everybody up to date in terms of you know the blow by blow. Me and Lucy have basically had the same team pretty much apart from Bowen versus Zaha, uh, but worth just kind of talking through how this week has gone for both of us. Now, it is Bowen free. Zaha too but that's kind of by default isn't it I mean it wasn't a good week for either of us was it no no it wasn't <laughs> um <laughs> there's not a lot to say really I think um our, our faith in Salah has not been repaid in any way shape or form the Foden benching also caught us a little bit off guard um and of course 
with Andreas's 10 points staring at us from the bench. That makes that vote benching particularly uh, painful. Our faith that Crystal Palace would be an interesting interim pick has not been repaid. Um, I think the Everton scoreline probably caught us a little bit off guard. Um, I, th- I suppose the only good point on this terrible game week, if we're both honest, um, was Ward. We played him over Pope, so that that worked out well. Um, his eight points, looking pretty pretty high scoring compared yeah. to the rest of our team, really. Yeah, terrible. I, I I like how it's now our team. It's just it's, yeah, it's, it's our it's, team. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not... a bit it's a bit silly, isn't it? But I think it's just we've, we've somehow managed to end up in lockstep for quite a while. But yes. Uh, very poor week. Fifty-three for you, fifty-five for me, um, because of Bowen's free pointer as opposed to Zaha's one. Um, yeah, uh, Bowen fell to return on Monday. That was the big hope for me, really. Any return from him would have pushed the arrow greyer or at least a bit greener, but somehow it just didn't materialise at all. And yeah, just a bit rubbish, really. Three returns, Ward clean sheet somehow. Twenty-one shots he faced. And just just a fluke of a clean sheet, really, Lucy. I think we got away with that one, really. I kind of wish Greedley got one more save. That would have been six, and would have probably been all three bonus as well. Um, the Mitrovic goal, yeah. Salah's uh, and uh, Holland's own almost ubiquitous brace. I was about to say Salah's brace, but if only say a few people. But yeah, he was always the captain. But yeah, it's just blanks everywhere else. And I I realised the other day that it's been three game weeks since I've seen a midfield attacking return because you've had the Zaha goal, haven't you? I've had nothing, no no attacking returns from midfield at all for three game weeks, which I, which I can't well, we remember. We do keep transferring them out before they're about to do it, don't we? I know, I know, it's ridiculous. And uh, as you said about Pereira, obviously on my bench as well, really annoying that Foden didn't play, of course. But I mean, I think it was only one of Jump the Waves predictors predicted that he wasn't going to play. So hats off to them. I think it might have been Luke Disable, actually. But I mean, for Pereira, I saw people, you know, like, being really annoyed at themselves, not playing him, et cetera, et cetera. But you need you no know, proper time traveler insight to play him this week, really. Because, you know, on paper we had, you know, in my team, for example, Martinelli versus Saints, Salah versus Forrest, Foden versus Brighton, Bowen versus Bournemouth, Mitchell versus Leeds, Tony versus Villa. Like, it would have been simply lunacy to have played Andreas over any of those picks. So I, I can't be annoyed at that. And I just kind of, you know, I just feel like, and we'll talk about this in a second, I feel like it's just a good team that hasn't done very well for a few weeks. <laughs> uh, but I'm not entirely sure how to arrest the decline yet. I'm erring slightly on towards don't panic, but we'll see. Um, but I'm down from 6.8k in game week 11 to 24k now. So I've more than tripled my rank, basically, um, which is a bit annoying, but I'm still in a very good position. And outside the context of the recent fall off, I'd have bitten your hand off if you told me I'd be here by now. So yeah, that's what I'm trying to keep in mind. I think you must be. Are you still, are you still on the top 50k? I'm not. No. No. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I did. Peak... <laughs> I did peak at 40k after game week 11. I'm now down to 66k, which isn't a disaster. I've seen a lot of worse cases out there, so I feel like I can't really rant. Yeah, 53, 52, 53 is at least consistent. If consistently disappointing, it's okay. Um, but I think it's just been all the the blank game week prep that's sort of thrown things out of kilter a little bit and it's not really kind of come out as we expected. A few kind of unexpected injuries and absences have, haven't helped really. So, yeah, I, I don't feel that bad about it. I think we're in a case now where you can have a good team and not be getting good results at the moment, I think. 
Well, let's talk about that. That's a very, very nice segue, Lucy, into kind of the main topic this week, which is should we zombify our teams in FPL? Now, obviously, you know the answer to this one, but I think it's just worth discussing because, you know, as Lucy said at the very beginning, we're going to do a little post-mortem, I guess, of that bruising week come three game weeks, which kind of reflect a rather sort of have, which have created sort of a rather sort of flat mood amongst many engaged managers at the moment. And we had a few questions about this, which again made me think, oh, we should probably talk about it. And Alien FPL Diagnosis asked, with so many, so little time remaining until the World, the World Cup break, it's starting to feel like we can't change the fortunes of our fantasy teams very much at all. Is this a lesson that we should sometimes just do nothing? And more lamentably, FPL Lovejoy belies his name by asking if it's worth quitting the season now and sitting the rest of the year out so he feels more relaxed with life and starting again next year. He says he's dropped from 400k to 1.4 million in the last week. <laughs> Ouch. And I've seen loads of stories about this, you know, from the likes of um, Andy Let's Talk FPL through, you know, loads of managers on Twitter. And I've, I thought what would be interesting to do here is just think, if I'd have done absolutely nothing after game week 10, so Lucy said a minute ago, you know, Loads of plans have fall, fall, thrown out a kilter by planning for the blank. If I'd done nothing on game week 10, what would the outcome have been? I asked FPL Data at FPL underscore Data on Twitter to look into this for me. And I think it's actually quite an interesting thing to discuss. And I just want to also caveat here that um, obviously it's a bit of a nightmare to retrospectively look at your coulda, woulda, shouldas in terms of FPL. I mean, it's obviously tainted a bit by hindsight. It's one of those things that you need a bit of creative license to do just because you can't be entirely subjective about this. You can have that kind of you know, creeping determinism. I knew it all along kind of kicking in. Um, but nonetheless, I think what's quite interesting and fun to do is just to perform this post-mortem and figure out if there's any lessons really to be learned about a period like this in FPL. So over the last three weeks, Lucy, you made a grand total of two points through your management. And thank that, you, thank you very much. It's a great result. We're all very pleased with it. <laughs> yeah, that involved four transfers, I think. And um, I lost one point um, over the last three weeks due to my management, which again, just kind of perhaps shows that we should have just walked away from FPL for a whole week and we'd be absolutely fine. It's, it's amazing really, isn't it? I think that most of us did that kind of indirect route, didn't we? Of selling KDB to get to Foden via buying Trossard and Salah and then moving Trossard out for Foden for this week i don't know can you pick holes in in that because i think it even though in hindsight you might be thinking oh yeah you know what you should have done this should have done that i still think that's perfectly reasonable yeah i think the trossard blanking against nottingham forest and then returning against city was probably the most peak fpl thing that has ever happened in the history of the world in terms of just random events that you can't really predict making you feel miserable i think there are lots of reasons why people will have been slightly thrown off course in the last few weeks. So obviously we had the Madison suspension, the James injury, the Trent injury that wasn't really an injury in the end, but kind of fooled us all. I think that probably forced people into this kind of shift, which is probably a quicker shift than we'd have ever liked to have done. And it does always come with the risk that we might miss points here and there. But I think there was quite solid kind of rationale between that switch, particularly given the conversation we'd had about value and the value that Foden offered over KDB. I don't think the uncertainty and, um, well, if we're honest, continued disappointment from Liverpool has helped. When we last spoke, it was all a bit in the air. They've tried new formations. They had new injuries. There's kind of been new confusion. Maybe, maybe we didn't update our kind of thinking on them 
and our expectations around them enough. But I don't think it was outrageous to suspect that Salah would do well out of the fixtures he had. So, yeah, I, it just feels like bad luck more than it does bad judgment. Maybe. I, I feel like we just got catfished by Salah, didn't we? Like a good perform, a, a good good performance off the bench in the Champions League and the Man City game, and then suddenly you know Nunez is back on the pitch and he's completely ineffectual. We got catfished by a combination of Salah hoodwinking us and the models turning our heads, and it just it it felt like as you said the rationale was there and he was kind of you know a good captain, but I kind of find myself and again it's just kind of a, a an occupational hazard doing a podcast. I find myself kind of looking, thinking back to the value podcast where I was quite, you know, we were both saying, well, he's probably not good value, is he? And yet here we both are with Salah and our teams probably committed to owning him up until the World Cup now. And it's, it's funny how FPL, as you said, the tables can turn and things can move very quickly. But ultimately, it, it does feel like it's, it's more of an outcome led thing rather than a decision process led thing. And I, one of my friends, Mitchell Sterling, who I'm going to pick on, and he is out and sunning himself, so he's not going to be too annoyed. Um, but he's made huge gains over the last couple of weeks. I think he's four points behind me now and was about 80 points behind me at the start. And he made seven points from game week 10 to now, which included a minus eight to bring in Almiron and Castagna last week. So th- these are kind of you know the sorts of moves that people have been making to make up the gap. And you know, there are a few kind of really high scores floating around. I mean, those are obviously legendary moves, Lucy, but I mean, how often will that actually happen that the likes of Almiron, likes of Castagna, like those sorts of, I'm not going to say bit part players because I'd be doing, doing them a dis- disservice, but you know, like your 10th, your 11th man, those players going nuclear, that feels like a very sort of circumstantial thing, doesn't it? Rather than something that you can pull proper sort of insight from. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think those are the players that I would always be the most reluctant to take hits for because as you said, they're the kind of players on the fringes of your first 11 that you may not use all the time that may kind of come in and out of reckoning depending on fixtures that they tend to be the players I'm most skeptical about taking hits for given that I'm skeptical about hits full stop you know that they're quite a long way down my rung for um taking them the only thing I will say about this kind of aggressive play um I'm clearly not the person to ask about it because I'm terrible at it um, and I think you can see positive gains from those kinds of moves. But I would say that the legendary payoffs are the ones you tend to hear about just by the nature of social media. I would suspect there's a lot of epic flops sitting in the game week history of people that we never hear about or we hear about on a very tiny little update on Twitter. Um, I think there are way more pitfalls to that style of play than people potentially acknowledge. So that's the only kind of um, health risk I would put behind that. But if you if you can do it and you can judge them well, then, you know, well done to you because I'm clearly not going to be making games that way. No, no. Like, like kind of a, a newspaper apologising to somebody is like buried in page 25 in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> like a strab lawyer's statement or something like that compared to it being front page news if it goes Absolutely. very, very well. Yeah, I mean... Like the likes of Trossard, Salah, we've both bought Crystal Palace defender and Anderson, as 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 has been mentioned. I just I'm not sure, and maybe it's kind of almost reverse hindsight. You know, you maybe with hindsight, people always say, "Oh, I knew they were going to do nothing," and I kind of slightly touched on that with saying, "Oh, I, but I did say Salah is probably isn't good value, but I bought him in anyway." It's it's one of those, isn't it? Where as you said, you know, Trossard in that Boris game probably could have and should have scored early on. Wolves scored a pretty crappy goal from memory, 
and as a, and Salah versus West Ham was was ineffectual, and I, I find it difficult to see how I could have played that differently, even fully endorsing and embracing hindsight and putting my head in its bosom. I, I just don't see a way that I could have played that differently, and outside of something fantastical. So in that scenario, I'm inclined to sort of think, you know what. It's it's about the decision rather than the outcome again. And I know we've we've kind of talked about that a few times, and it's about sort of you know reframing the question: Did I make the right decision? To am I happy with the decision I made? And if you think you've just got to take it on the chin, really, haven't you? Uh, I think that's kind of the way we are. And stuff like the Madison injury, the James in the injury in the blank, those sort of that sort of chain of events, I guess, led to you know what Alan's episode diagnosis question was coming from really. Because he just said, you know, we feel like we're a bit, we were kind of locked in, weren't we, pretty quickly into one sort of track. Um, and it's quite difficult to get out of that beyond kind of massive hits or a huge restructure or a wild card, which some people did have. Yeah, I think that's entirely true in the sense that we we had that track. So we, there was a limited amount to how much we could deviate. Once we'd taken those wild cards to sort of remove Arsenal players and set ourselves up for game week 12... Once you're kind of on that trajectory and you're game week 10, 11, you need to be ready for that 12. You're then only focusing on players that play in 12, that have good fixtures in 12, and you're dealing with very particular issues. So again, James and Madison were issues we probably didn't expect to have. So all of your options are kind of become more limited. And I think we probably made decent enough decisions within the limited boundaries we had. I mean, we'll we'll talk about it soon, but I think as we open up towards the World World Cup and we've got kind of that dead end to work into, it's not quite so constricting. So you can have a bit more freedom about what you do and how you think about the game, I think. Yeah, for sure. I think that that's... These sorts of things, they transpire. They just take your attention completely. So any sort of freedom you have to make moves just dissipates completely. And you are, as you said, stuck into this path. And it's really fascinating that the but I guess what you might term the butterfly effects in terms of you know, how a decision one week, two weeks, three weeks ago can have far-reaching consequences. So I'm thinking of a, a friend of mine, James Carroll, who's been on the pod before, actually. A few weeks back, he decided to buy Dominic Solanke and I'm not saying that was a good decision in of itself. Now, that was one thing. But the thing is, because he bought Solanke, he was then able this week to say, OK, I'm going to play Pereira because suddenly there's a an ability to kind of take the guy out, whereas we didn't have that ability, you know. And there are quite a few people in earlier wildcards, especially you know, the analytics crew who've been backing Solanke for a while, had that ability to play Pereira. And suddenly you've, you know, a decision you made back in game week eight means that you suddenly got 10 points later on down the line. I think that's just fascinating how these little things kind of stick together. And in terms of the, you know, the defender that we brought in, would we still be thinking, should we zombify our FPL team if we brought in Castagna instead of Anderson? Like if we'd have gotten, what, 30 points, whatever it is, in the last three weeks? I don't think so. I think we'd be sitting here going, oh, yeah, we played that brilliantly. So it, it's very much about the perception of outcome, I think, uh, when you kind of get into this sort of mode of thinking surrounding your team. I guess if you've had a bad start to the season and this sort of compounded it, uh, I can only feel sympathy, really, just because it is one of those things where if you're making the right decisions, I mean, we, we're not... We're at a level now where, you know, basic mistakes don't really happen. Like we're not 
I don't know if the listeners of this pod are taking hits to buy and sell players that we want to keep long term. We're not missing deadlines, you know. We're not forgetting to set our captains. We're all fishing in the same pool of players, making similar decisions. And you know, it's very rare I'll see an engaged manager make a decision I truly don't understand or don't get. You know, everything I can completely see the reason to. So it's all about the minutiae of edges at the moment. And sometimes uh, I just find it fascinating how they can be so unwitting as well. <laughs> Let's have unconscious consequences going forward. But hey, I mean, do you think the die had been cast a long time ago then in terms of our outcome this week? Was it the Madison injury? Was it kind of before that? I mean, when do you think? I don't really know. It's difficult because I think we we had wild cards which we acknowledged were already in a state of flux before we had any other additional issues to deal with. And then we had the combination of an Isaac injury followed by a James injury, that there was kind of a series of different events over several weeks, which in a sense we hadn't kind of forced through our own decisions, but kind of because they happened in the order they happened kind of back to back, it really restricted our options. So if if you make choices based on what's happening to you on that basis, there's not a lot you can do about it and there's not a lot you can blame when it goes wrong. Um, I would also say... I don't think it's going that wrong for a lot of people. There are some pretty dodgy scores fishing around, um, but I don't think they're critical like monstrosities. I'm seeing a lot of people kind of gradually decline in rank, but nothing, okay, not nothing. I'm very sorry to those that have collapsed, but not many people are absolutely collapsing. I think it's, it's, it's a period of stagnation, which I think we should always be realistic around a blank game week when we can't kind of manage our teams to the optimal level that's happened and I don't think that's a disaster I think there's also the need to have a bit of realism about the fact you won't be able to get green arrows all the season long so bad spells are okay as long as you can kick yourselves out of them really I mean uh, how do you do that though that's the thing especially if you are kind of you think oh I'm I'm, I'm kind of stuck here now if that makes sense I'm, I'm looking at my team I'm stuck with probably the majority of these guys now and yeah, you know, there's there's being sanguine and yeah, you can, we'll come onto it later in the questions, but yeah, I could take a barrel of hits to get rid of it. But I, I don't know. I, I feel like there is a certain point in it, when, when, it, when we've got a lock in in terms of the World Cup, there's, there's always seems to be this point, doesn't there, where we've just, we've just got to accept and take on the chin that there's only kind of small changes around the edges short of selling Salah and someone else for Kane and somebody else to radically try try to um, go all in we've just got to accept that you know we can be that we're kind of fixed on this track now yes probably there are two or three players that we can change around but as you said maybe it's just a case of being sanguine about it and just maybe battening down the hatches a bit for the last three weeks that's a bit sad I don't think it's I don't think it's as as tragic as that. I think um, given that we've established that Salah isn't really this indispensable asset we thought he was, that's a lot of money you've got to play with, and you don't have to necessarily reallocate the money. You could just replace the player. You don't have to spend all the money. I think we've ascertained in previous pods that it's not necessarily true that the best players, the most expensive players, are giving the best value. So maybe you could replace Salah with someone that's not as expensive. I think looking at our team as we keep putting it i don't think there are many huge weak links in them so as much as we might say that they haven't delivered points recently i don't think i look at that team in front of me and think oh that's that's a terrible team i need to replace three of those players i think it's just a case that they haven't delivered points recently but i don't think that's the same thing as thinking they're a it's a bad team 
No, but I, I said I really don't think it is, and I think it's a case of you know being chill with your decisions and just letting acceptance wash over you. There's very it's, it's the same as what we were saying during preseason that once, once the deadline's gone, you know your t your team's locked in, and there's nothing you can do about it. And it's kind of the same here in some ways that um, you know within the limitations of what you can do every week, it's okay. And you've picked these players for a reason, and I, I think that you know. It's been you've, if you haven't done well, you've just been a bit unlucky the last few weeks. I think that that's kind of all it is. Um, I don't think I can look at my team and look at any of the players and think, oh, actually, he's a bit of crap. I'll get rid of him. <laughs> I don't know. In terms of anything to learn from the last three weeks, then in terms of a post-mortem, I don't think I'm doubling down, as it were, to say I think that these are things that I'd have done again. <laughs> I, I I think in any scenario, I think I probably would have done pretty much everything again. Like maybe I would have, I had um Emerson Palmieri, and I took him out for Anderson. I think that I maybe I could have you know paid more thought to to Castagna, but as it's as it happened, I, I didn't really pay any thought to that. So in the pod at the time, I think Anderson or Gay here probably the best too. And I you know it's one of those things where you can think magically about what you could have done in another world but I just I just simply don't think that that's ever going to have been something that would have been truly an action I would have taken so yeah I, I think it's one of those but when you look back at it and you think oh could I have really done something again if the answer is no just move on from it and just think I've just been unlucky so yeah should we zombify our themes then Lucy what do you think no if we think that then we should probably just stop recording because there isn't a lot to talk about but an interesting tidbit. If you'd have left your team, Lucy, in game week two, you'd only be four points worse off than you are now. Yeah. <laughs> That's how good my original team was. <laughs> I'm just going to take credit for that and move on swiftly so that I carry on playing the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, 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 think, I think what it does show, I guess, is that we've both chosen stable solid teams we did from the beginning with the wild card it was as you said in flux but it was kind of a stable and solid team at the risk of sounding like Theresa may and recent picks have just been utterly ineffective but they haven't been without reason and that's not a bad thing and as i said before think to yourself was it the right decision yes or no remove that binary and just think am i happy with the decision i made normally the answer is probably yes unless you made a rush decision a drunk decision a something else decision um but yeah I, just be sanguine about it don't zombify your team keep playing or don't i mean if it does make you happy do quit but hey um hopefully that was vaguely useful as a little post-mortem of the last kind of few weeks and we'll look ahead to the next three weeks uh, in the question section just after the break who got the assist? Who got the assist? All right, so we're back, and it's time to just break into market forces very quickly, see how people are reacting to that rather difficult three weeks in fantasy football world. And Almiron is the most transferred in player. 450,000 transfers in for Almiron. And I think maybe they've heard the pod already, Lucy, but 203,000 people have sold Mo Salah, probably, to accommodate Almiron. So yeah, a very interesting sort of value sale, I suppose. Um, I kid, uh, in terms of midfield sales, there's also Pascal Gross, uh, sold by 157,000, and 100,000 people have sold Zaha as well. Seen enough 
So yeah, quite a lot of people going to Almiron and uh, we'll probably discuss him later on, but definitely one on many a radar at the moment. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne too, I guess many people have seen the goal. Uh, he scored for Man City. He probably didn't see the games. He wasn't entire, as involved as I thought he could have been. Um, 173,000, 73,000 transfer for De Bruyne. Trossard has been bought by 168,000 people. He's done a goal, therefore he's been bought. Uh, and Mitrovic, 234,000 transfer for him. And Phil Foden, um, those people saw enough in that 28-minute cameo uh, to bring him in as well, 120,000 transfer for him. I mentioned the midfielders being sold. Reese James is still shedding owners somehow. So people, he's been in the top five sold for the last two pods, the third pod in the row. He's second sold at the moment. 162,000 transfers out for him, down to 5.9 now. And Gabriel Jesus, ahead of uh, a very nice looking game against uh, Nottingham Forest, been sold by 135,000 people. Yeah, it's an interesting picture right now uh, with the likes of Trippier still somehow gaining people purchasing. 115,000 transfers in for Trippier. Somehow, Holland is still attracting buyers. Don't know how that's happened. 75,000 people have seen enough and decided to buy Holland. It's, it's really, I don't know. Is it robots? Finally admitted to themselves that he might be worth over. I know. I know. I know. It's it's just it's just a bit crazy, really. I understand Almiron, though, and a few of these people we will discuss a little bit in a little bit. Uh, yes. Next thing, the mini league. We'll finally do a proper update for the first time in a little while. Up top is Robin Hill by Jonathan Arkless, who's been in the round the top uh, 10 for quite a while. Did Captain Salah this week, but didn't hurt him too much. 46 points for Jonathan, 833 he's on right now, which is uh, not a bad tally at all. I think that takes him to... He's 967th in the world. So very well done, Jonathan. Second, it's Henry Dean back of the Neto. Just four points behind, 54 points on his wild card, which is okay. Uh, up from third to second. Down from second to third, it's Robin Smith, Yantan Leatherit with 46 this week. In equal third, actually, uh, with Joe Urso, um, who came up from 17th to third with a massive 72 pointer this week. I'd say people are, loads of people seem to have pulled a very, very good week out of their posteriors uh, a proud double leicester defense owner of castagna and ward also owned kane has been ticking away had Pereira on the bench up from 13th to 5th it's dave hughes the ferocious heat 66 points for dave again his wild card in he's in joint fifth actually with Paddy's team padraig sheehan and both of them have actually been in and around the top 10 for quite a while in seventh, all the way up from 134th, it's Volodymyr Rutsky. Apologies if I got that wrong. RSNPZD with, uh, yes, a massive 83. De Bruyne owner, Almiron owner, played Andreas this week, Castagna, Kane. And on his bench, he also had six points for Neko Williams and 11 points for Mikalenko. Very, very good, Volodymyr. In eighth up from 38th, it's Harry Lou, eight hag, nine hag, ten hag. 68 points this week. He's joined actually in eighth with Ab uh, Abdullahi Mohammed, FPL Najib. And in joint tenth, three individuals there Eric Dugana, Peaky Blinders, Pete Carter from Armando Forest, and Rowan Usenberg with Sloth and Powers Unite. All three of them are in tenth. So, yes, very well done, everybody. Especially well done uh, to Vladimir with 83. I think that's the highest score I can see here in the top, uh, top 100. So, yeah, very well done. Monster. I wish I got 83 this week. Wow, must be chuffed. Right, on to the QA. And I suppose starting to look forward to. The final three weeks of this first half of the season. Yeah, H1. 
First question, though, is a general well-being slash fluff question, Lucy. Amund asks, how are you guys doing and what's the best Christmas jumper you own? Um, first of all, it's the 25th of October. Why Why are we after we're talking about Christmas jumpers? I don't quite understand that. But assuming that it's been motivated as a question by my sensational purchase of a... Um, one of the new classic football shirts, Christmas jumpers. Um, if you're not familiar with classic football shirts, you should be. What was your Christmas jumper? Um, it's a. It's based on a mid '90s Barcelona away kit with Ronaldo on the back, but it's been like modified. So in certain decorations, so for example, the FC Barcelona badge is actually just a big Christmas pudding. Um, there's Santa hats down the, down the trim, um, Feliz Navidad all over it it's great right uh, sounds sounds very good okay well, <laughs> maybe maybe i'll have a look into these things um i said i did get the fiorentina you know the, the classic fiorentina shirt from the batistuta on the back from the 90s so maybe i should see if i can get a christmas there's a batistuta one there is, is a there? Ho, instead of nintendo it's got ho 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 written across Ooh, it oh okay now i'm interested yeah no i'm interested yeah, yeah cool. no, maybe maybe I should maybe I'll, I'll I'll do the same follow suit. I can meet up with him. We can both come sit together in the same in the same outfit. That'd be funny. Nice. And and I don't own a Christmas jumper. Yeah, I I really should have. What I really you should've... don't own a Christmas jumper? I don't. No, I I really should. I just I always associate them with the nineteen nineties. You know, like Bridget Jones's Diary. I just I just never own one. I I've, should should I? I... I feel again you were using Bridget Jones's diary as an insult, which again is a no, 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 no. I love, I love Bridget Jones's okay. diary. Okay. Nothing wrong with it. I model my life on that version of Mark Darcy. But seriously, <laughs> um, I, I don't understand. I, I just never, I just never, you know, it's, it's something that just never. I maybe I should get one. You know, I've, just, I've never owned no, you one. Should. I've just never yeah. owned one. You know, no, it's feel like it feels a bit, a bit of a waste to just have something that you'd only wear for one month. But then I guess I've got a, a Christmas tree out in the garage. I only put up once, once a year. So. See? Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe it's worth doing. So yes, scandalously answers well. nice. Yes, okay, right. Let's move on to actual football stuff or FPL related stuff. The first bit is about kind of play style with three weeks left. So a few questions on this. Andrew at FPL Point Break asks: With three weeks to go into the World Cup, is it best to stick to standard practice of you know using your free transfers to fix your weakest link, or should you be more aggressive in targeting upside players? A friend of the pod, Sam, FPL Price, he asked the same question, you know, would you favour or shy away from potentially explosive or riskier picks considering we have three weeks from the World Cup? Um, does this constitute a free pass, he says, to do what we like? And Adam Pritchard, free five, who asks, with so little time left, is there a Moriartum on hips or are they still fair game? I guess I know what you're going to say about Taking hits, Lucy, and all of this. I'm assuming it's something around playing so carefully and safely. I mean, what do you think here? Yes, I would. That was a very shocking answer to anyone who regularly listens to the pod, I know. Um, I think in answer to FPL Point Break's question about whether you should consider fixing weak links or aggressively targeting upside players, ideally, you probably want to do both. So you probably want to see if you can address the weaker links with an upside player. I don't think it's particularly problematic um, looking a little riskier 
um i guess it depends how weak your weak links are i think you can afford to take a few more risks around what you leave on your bench so if you you've got some riskier picks you can take those knowing that you've only got a couple of weeks to stumble through i think it probably is worth noting that this is the last week you can really take advantage of Pereira's fixture so if you want to leave yourself a bit short this would be the week to do it probably I think it's probably worth being mindful of players that are on four yellow cards. Um, I think that can be easily overlooked and they're quite popular players. So Gerhi, Saliba, Dallo, Cher, Tony and Jesus are all on four yellow cards. So I wouldn't be taking hits for them. Um, I think if, you're, are, if you are considering hits, I would do it for players where you can see more than one fixture of potential. So I think we found in the last few weeks that targeting a specific fixture for an immediate return um, it's quite a high risk strategy and you put, certainly wouldn't want to add a hit on top of that risk. Um, so if you're looking in the final three, I don't think there are many teams that have got a great three. So as long as you're confident they've got a good two that you can go after, that would probably be my policy. And then the final week, I really don't see a point in a hit. So I would hold off then. But right now, I'm not completely against them, but won't be doing them. Okay, no, that's kind of what I expected you to say. <laughs> I should have, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying I, I, would, I would have uh, scripted that entirely. Um, but yeah, so it's, 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 it's been like back in the days when I used to just think I could just fill in Nick's part here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, very close. All right, um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. I actually think in the short time horizon, I, I don't mind going for some of these sort of you know out there picks, especially you know when we hit that game week 16. Things are changed a bit in this unusual yeah. context. Like there's no buying for the long term anymore. And it's all about, as I said last week, with regard to sh- short-term wildcards, harvesting as many points as you possibly can in the short term. Now, as I've said, and as we've said, we are a bit straight-jacketed. So a good example was Salah, as I mentioned earlier. I think looking at the fixtures, you know, two home games versus Leeds and Southampton to come, I I know you said, oh, he, he can be moved on, et cetera, et cetera. To me, it just feels like, you know, you're just locked in with him now because there's just not the space to move money around. And I just I just don't know on the merits of moving him on rather than doing yeah. other things, you know? I mean, it was very hypothetical, my point yeah. about you yeah. could sell Salah. I'm not obviously not going to do that, but <laughs> yeah. you could do that. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 the, the bandwidth, I think, has just shortened significantly. Like, there's other things to think about. And I think there's a fair bit of mileage, you know, short-term sort of moves, if you see what I mean. So I mentioned my friend Mitchell earlier on, who bought in the likes of Almiron and Castagna and done well. So if you hit them right, then fair enough. And the peripheral guys are often making the difference. I mean, one thing I do like at the moment is how the template has perhaps loosened from a couple of weeks back. So I think back then it was, you know, goalkeeper, probably probably Pope, but that was neither here nor there. Um, James, Cancelo, Trippier was about three. You know, you had your pick of Martinelli, Madison, Bonos, Zaha, KDB or Foden in midfield and Haaland, Mitro, another up top. So I think this must have been like game week seven or eight. I think we had about eight-ish players similar, like everybody seemed to. And three players were where your gains were made then. And one of them was a goalkeeper. So you only really had two players where your gains were to be made. Now, from looking at loads of teams, I think it's moved out a lot. And I noticed this in the effects of ownership as well on, F- on the live FPL this week. Like, There's probably still, you know, Cancelo and Trippier. There may be, you know, Foden and Martinelli in midfield. And then Haaland and Mitro up top. But I think that's probably it now. So you've only got kind of six players that 
probably everybody owns. And other than that, you've got you know, five players and excluding goalkeeper, four outfield players that can make a difference for you. So you know, if you've got double the amount of space to uh, have differentials right now than you have a few, that you had a few weeks back when the template was perhaps in its heyday. So you've got you know, the, the defender free slot all a bit rubbish but you know you can point at Trent you can point to the recent kind of um, gains people have made with Castagna the midfield 3, 4 and 5 slot people like Almiron and you know the 4, 3 slot so there's definitely a lot of scope for differentiation at the moment and given this environment I wouldn't say no to basically diverting away from the weakest link receive wisdom to Andrew's question and to Sam's point I do think it kind of we're in an environment now where you can back your own instincts a bit and go with someone off the wall um, and I think the final question that Adam Pritchard um, would you take a hit now I mean you mentioned Pereira as a good 4.5 and with many of us sporting him plus a decent bench option in terms of defenders I just don't think I'd take a hit at the moment especially if it's a non-enforced one I, just, I normally would but in this situation I just feel like it's not really worth it like you need the player who comes in normally if you're taking out if you're taking out a player who is otherwise fit for a new one. You need seven points to make that profit worthwhile. But I feel like it's heightened in magnitude now because you've got so such little time left. You really need it to pay off the first week, but not straight away. And I, I just don't think that that's going to happen very often that a player scores seven points in any given game week in any position. So I think at the minute I just shy away from hits, whatever the situation is in front of me, because you've got the Pereira kind of cover option. I know there's Man City and Man United next, but you know, Man City are considering City goals at the moment and Man United are, well, they've been a lot better recently, but hey, I mean, if worst comes to worst, if he has to come on uh, to save you four points, I, I just do think that that's probably going to be sensibly the best option, unless it's a hit that's enforced by injury, like massive injuries. I just don't think they're worth taking at the moment. So yeah, I think it's a punt-friendly environment, but not a hit-friendly environment, basically. Next question. Potential differentials, of course, three weeks to go. FPL fella, Dan, lovely fella indeed, asks, a player for each position as a short-term punt, who would we say? Uh, Nicky Maynard are similar. Any juicy differential as we did end into the World Cup? And Take It Easy 18 asks for the best striker punt. Now, what should we do? Should we start goalkeepers? Any? Should we include them or not? I'm no clearer on who is good to own from that category. I, I flick a week to week on who I think is the, the best keeper going forward and I haven't come up with any sensible conclusions. So I've left that one with a big Tom question mark. Um, I, I've got not very much on this. Like, good. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, maybe if you, I mean, if the only people I think that are going to be taking punts on the goalkeeper at the moment are probably going to be those who have Ward and Iverson. Like maybe they might want to be moving Correct. somebody else. Yeah. So I think a, a crouch ender, I think tongue in cheek ask, is Ward essential? <laughs> but, you know, and I, I think, you know, if you're looking at a goalkeeper now, probably, as I said on, on the last week's quick pod, a Pickford would be the one I'd go for, perhaps. Um, a mixture of fixtures and projected returns. So FPL review favours Guaita and Pickford. I think that Palace seems to be considering a lot of silly goals at the moment. Um, Vieira seems to be fielding too many attacking players as James from Planet FPL keeps pointing out. It may change, of course, um, but I, I think Pickford with a, with a more set of defence in front of him is probably the way to go. But, I mean, you know, you could look at so many things here. You could look at saves over the last six game weeks. I think it's Leno, Raya, Henderson and Lloris who have made the 
the most saves over the last three game weeks, but it's, it's just pot luck, really. I just go for a four point five if I was looking for a goalkeeper like Pickford and just leave it there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, defenders, Lucy, surely more joy here. Um, I, the problem is I really struggled to come up with even vaguely interesting picks. So I was like, I think Arsenal, really honestly, <laughs> are a good pick right now, right. and I know that's incredibly boring, but I, I. I get to a point where I really struggle to look beyond the obvious when the obvious is good. And I've just filtered through a whole load of defenders looking desperately for something that's interesting. And the problem is lots of teams have two good fixtures, but a third terrible one. And I, yeah, I looked and I really hate that I've written this down, but I've got Cody written down and I don't, I don't like that either. Um, So again, you must have a better idea. Uh, well, I mean, I know what you mean about the two good and two good and one bad. Um, probably West Ham was where I looked. So Cresswell or Zuma. Man United, not the best fixture, but Crystal Palace and Leicester, the two home fixtures to end uh, before the World Cup are good fixtures. Yeah, I think it is worth saying, given that we think West Ham are good, and I'd agree with that, and um, Man United are good, if you can wait one more week, there might be value in looking elsewhere for now or rolling a transfer yeah. um, because I think they've got a bit more potential from next week. Yeah, I mean, I quite like Cresswell. I know he's getting on a bit, but he seems to have fended off Emerson for now. He's consigned to Euro- European duty of the Italian. Um, eight points of this week for Cress- Cresswell, very close to a goal as well, uh, 4.8 million. And he's equal uh, with Trippier for key pass over the last six weeks with 16, um, far and away more than any other defender uh, set pieces too. So Man United, Crystal Palace and Leicester the next three. Um, I'm actually quite considering uh, as an owner of uh, Matt Hardy and Anderson, who's got West Ham next week buying him in myself very soon so yeah I think they'd be where I'll go otherwise I mean maybe it's have uh, Mikalenko or Tarko um, as cheap alternatives to uh, Mr Cody um, I did look at Liverpool as well potentially um, like Van Dyke. he seemed to forget what the goal was versus Forest. apart from that great save from Henderson at the depth but in another world wow like he potentially had a hat-trick in that game Seriously, um, decent fixtures in the last three, including the two decent home games I mentioned. Um, Robertson as well, potentially. Um, but Liverpool are still in the bottom half for expected goals conceded. <laughs> the likes of Aston Villa, Wolves and Le- Leeds are performing better than Liverpool are in terms of defensive solidity this season. Um, but there's still some explosiveness there. You never I know. I think there's a lot to pay for a lot of uncertainty. I, yeah. I, I, I don't want to add that to Salah. <laughs> no. And then Man United... Um, Aston Villa and Fulham after this week's West Ham game. So maybe you can think of Luke Shaw and Dallow. But I'll come back to United for the midfield, actually, um, because I think there's a couple there. Um, what do you yeah. think about the midfield? <laughs> um, but yeah, Man United was what I was going to highlight. I think Rashford and Anthony are both interesting. Um, and given those last two fixtures have, have got really good potential. The only thing I was going to say on Man United, which you had highlighted um, defensively, Dallow was on my list of people with four yellow cards, so just want to, to treat with caution. But yeah, I think Man United are where I'd be going with the midfield punts. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, I mean, Rashford's um, somehow is top 10 for non-pen expected goal involvement this season. He's seventh. I, I, I was flabbergasted by that, really was. Um, 
seems to I, I, he just seems to be getting a bit unlucky at the moment uh, every time I've watched United I, I don't think there's anything particularly going wrong there I just think it's not quite come together for him and I know you said Anthony he's in the right areas isn't he it's just yeah. it's not going in the net basically yeah it's just not not quite working for him I hope yeah um, and I know you said Anthony but Bruno is another one that's probably worth mentioning I know that Nick who sold his soul and is now working for the official FPL uh, Twitter feed um, mentioned them on their feed recently Um I've got some issues with expected assists, but Bruno is second on this metric called to stats bomb. If you care about this and he's got the most key passes in the last six game weeks of any player, um, a really good piece by Michael Cox in the athletic as well, um, regarding how United's transition back to team Bruno over team Ronaldo has really helped the younger man over the last nine games. He's not played with Ronaldo this season. His goal involvement is around kind of 0.5 per game and a mode of around 0.86 as well, which is pretty nice. So he may be one to have a look at if you have a luxury, if you have a lot of money floating around in the midfield, you don't really like such as Mo Salah, who you might wish to consider kind of more um, as an uber differential I don't even know how much Bruno's owned by now I'm sure there's some kind of United ultras who own the guy he's not in any teams right now and could be one of those players who does kind of end up being a bit of an uber differential because of his price Um, 2.3% wow Wow, very, very small. And it may also save you a bit of cash going into the World Cup and beyond. Um, the first three weeks back for United are Forest, Wolves and Bournemouth after the World Cup. So I suspect there'll be a bit of a clamour for their assets after that point. So if you can buy a couple of their players in um, early, then you might save yourself 0.1, 0.2 on that wild card. So just a, a little thing you might want to bear in mind. Elsewhere, Almiron. I know, 47 points over the last six game weeks. The second highest scorer midfielder at the moment, Newcastle purring two. Uh, they're third for non-X, uh, non-pen XG, just behind Liverpool in terms of their team stats. Um, I certainly don't think he's a bad pick. Nor is a Wobi at Everton now. Um, <laughs> used to cringe at this guy. But yeah, the assists this week were great. Um, the move to the middle has definitely transformed him. I still can't work out if this is a joke or not. No, no, it's a second for actual assists to KDB this season somehow. Um, and Everton, as we've picked, picked up, have good fixtures and he's cheap, you know. I, I think it's quite funny that, you know, you could have had a feasibly had a midfield this week of Iwobi, Xhaka at Arsenal, who I have, we haven't mentioned, but probably is worth mentioning given that he's got uh, he's doing all right this season, three goals and three assists. So you could have had Iwobi, Xhaka and Almiron this week and got 30 plus points from all three of them uh, at just 15 million. So just you know, the price of one, almost the price of one salad, basically. Um, yes, either uh, there are a few options like that floating around. The other one I might quickly mention is Bernardo Silva at City. Um, pretty nailed at 6.9, ticking along all right. Don't have space for him, probably. But, I mean, coming up a Leicester away and then Fulham and Brentford at home. So possibly worth a look at that price. But you know what it's like uh, with, with Man City midfielders. Yes. And forwards to answer Take It Easy 18. Uh, there's only one name for me. Uh, Wilson, 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 I think. What about you? Yeah, Wilson was the one I had as my my kind of obvious one, I think. There's a lot of clamour around Almiron, as we've covered, but I think Wilson is the one that I'd be looking at from Newcastle Attack. The only other one I had was Skamaka, maybe. Um, yep. He looks like he's starting fairly consistently now, as we've covered. Their fixtures are quite good, um, particularly for the last two weeks. So those were the two that I'd earmarked as punts um, in the forward category. 
I just don't think Wilson's a punt now. He's up for sip. He's up to sip for non-pin XG of all players and third for XG per 90 among all players as well. That's really good considering he's missed a few games. I just feel like he's, mm. I, feel like, I feel like he's a really good FPL asset. And, you know, if uh, for whatever reason, Mitrovic or Tony was ruled out of this week, I'd be buying him in in a heartbeat. <laughs> I think it's also quite good that um, the, the one kind of reservation I have about Wilson is that he has frequent injury issues. And I think when you're looking at a very limited horizon right now, you can do that with a with a fair degree of comfort, knowing that you only need to hold him for three weeks and, and hope he stays fit for that period. So that would also swing him in my favour as well. Um, hmm. I, yeah, I think he's a very good pick going forward. Um, and it was just really the fixtures for West Ham that yeah. kind of put Skamaka on my radar. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I really, especially if you don't own Bowen. So I'm probably going to be keeping Bowen, but he could be a very good sort of Riker pickup um, for, for him, uh, for, for Bowen, if you don't have him. Um, I think I just need to quickly mention Kane as well, due to the expected. No one's talking about him. Uh, sort of refrain that I'm sure will be out there. I mean, he's currently on track for 250 points-ish, uh, 22% owned, and only two blanks for this season thus far. Second highest scoring player, Lucy, by uh, some margin. Um, but nonetheless, surely if Haaland didn't exist, we'd all own Kane. Um, seven to nine points. He's just so consistent getting there, and he just creates a high floor for you most game weeks. At 12.2 million, I, it seems like he was probably the better pick than Salah all along. Yes. Totally forgotten about by most. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's undoubted now that the constant must keep a Salah slot open that defined our wild cards and then ruined our game weeks um, was clearly wrong. I think, you know, that's fine. <laughs> Kane was the way to go. And if you had the guts to keep hold of Kane, I think you probably done very well. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, just just giving yourself that floor every week. It's a bit like kind of having a double city defense at the start of the season. Yeah. Maybe maybe it was one um, that should have been spoken about. But yeah, no, maybe Kane as well. Just just for pure consistency, if you've got loads of money rattling around, he's he's eleven point five. So his start back to his start price. Uh, Bournemouth, Liverpool, and Leeds uh, the latter two games at home. If Kulusevski is back fit sometime soon i don't know whether that's actually possible i think it might be that he's out for quite a while kulisevsky but if he does uh, regain some fitness soon he might be worth looking at and plus harry's scoring without him anyway so you have lots of money floating around maybe he could be the one to go for so yeah quite a few names there i suppose i think for me you'll probably be looking at cresswell um probably bruno fernandez and probably wilson as my big three um and i suspect one of them at least would find themselves in my team uh before not very long at all right uh penultimate question this week uh fpl positivity says martinelli has attempted only six shots in the box over the last six weeks which is inferior to many other midfield options how many blanks does it take before we decide he's no longer a good fpl pick i think we're being patient aren't we lucy yeah, I think so. He's got good enough fixtures, you know, Forest and Wolves before the end of the season. We've all got a hell of a lot of value tied up in him. His current price is now 6.8 and a lot of us will have paid 6 or 6.1. Um, So I think, and his also his ownership is massive. So if you misjudge it on those fixtures, you're in a bit of trouble. So I'm I'm quite happy to hold him until the end of, until the, until the World Cup and then reassess from that point. Um, But I still think even after that, I would be holding onto him unless you know, for whatever reason, he wasn't fit. Um, I think he's just very good value. And, and I recognise that his last few games haven't been great, apart from, um, obviously, 
the Liverpool game, but it's not enough for me to to shift him yet. Yeah, no, at his price, I mean, he's blanked the last couple of games. But before that, 12 points with Liverpool, as you said, not quite setting the world on fire, but he has been ex-lively the last couple of games, despite not scoring. 12th overall for non-pen XG, I this season. Uh, that's better than the likes of Sterling, Bruno, Almiron. <laughs> so he's worth holding. And frankly, I think most of us are bigger fish to fry at the moment. Nonetheless, there could be an opportunity here. Um, I think because, you know, perceivably could be a blind spot for many. Be it in thinking that Arsenal are covered, so you don't have to get another one to double up with. So, you know, a Saka or a Jesus, um, I'm going to hope for that. Cards on the table, or <laughs> seeing that as that spot is locked down, you know, other fourth midfielder candidates like Almiron or Iwobi could be worth buying in um, to challenge Marcinelli. But as you said, Lucy, the ownership's probably high enough. He's probably worth persisting with up to the World Cup. A lot of us probably have a lot of value in him. So selling him would probably be a bit of a risk in terms of onwards team composition if you had to buy him back. So yeah, he's one of those players who has a high threshold of tolerance before he becomes expendable. So yes, probably a good while until we decide he's no longer as good an FPL pick as he used to be. That's what I'd say. Final question this week. A good friend of mine, FPL Jack, Jack Arama, asks if your goal is to get a certain rank by the end of the season, is there a benefit to setting yourself mental milestones, i.e. top 100k by the World Cup? Or is there a danger that this might negatively impact your decision make? What do you think here? I wouldn't do it. Um, I've done it before and I found it's got in my head in a quite negative way. So I found that it either makes me quite defensive over effective ownership if I'm going well versus the target because you think about holding ground, um, which I think has quite a negative impact on how you assess opportunities. Or the flip side, which is what I got into last season when I wasn't doing particularly well, is that you start making pretty kind of wild decisions because you're desperate to make up ground quickly. And I think that spirals on you if you're not careful and it it's kind of quite um well just doesn't doesn't really work in your favour. So I I don't think it's a great idea. I actually think the people that play rank blind, for want of a better phrase, um, might actually be onto something in terms of making sure that your rank remains separate from your decision making, because in theory, you should make them regardless um, of, of where you are in rank. So um, I wouldn't do it. That said, I know that it works for some people and they find it really beneficial. So it uh, really depends on kind of how your brain works and what you find positive from a psychology point of view for me i've only ever found it to be a negative so i tend not to worry about it of course the flip side being that if you have particular mini leagues to keep an eye on then you might find it more beneficial but yeah that's um that's my verdict on it i don't know if you feel any more positively about it tom well, I haven't been, I've never been doing well enough to to be able to do such a thing. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I I, I I suspect it might, as you said, you know, added decision, added pressure to decision making leads to more stress, which may throw you off your best game or at least negatively impact your objectivity, as you just intimated. Like you may do things like bring in players who aren't particularly optimal to do things like cover effective ownership, or as you said, when you weren't doing as well, take less ob- ob- obvious decisions in a bid to, you know, swing uh, when you probably shouldn't um, I'm not necessarily saying it's the case but maybe you know there's an element of that encapsulating Salah the weekend just gone over Holland um, maybe there's an element in that obviously I yeah, all the arguments that went on all tedious but you know where I'm coming from um, but 
you know, I, it comes back to what we were saying about planning too. I know vaguely that the top 100K is a great place to be. Um, but I think within kind of the confines of our engaged community, there's only kind of a few little minutiae of edges which are there and it's all well and good to have a season aim. But I feel like kind of the checkpoint aims, which is what these are, feel like they could just be a little bit more of a hindrance and a help and add unnecessary mental pressure, which could um, ups upset the balance of your kind of otherwise structured decision making. But yeah, I mean, that's just my supposition. I've never actually done it and I've done well enough to be able to do it. So there you go. Right. Uh, final thing this week then, transfers and captains. Probably a bit of a quiet week for both of us, I'd think. The Irish guy that I'm not going to say, the defender from Spurs. Matt Doherty. Um, unless I have information that he's likely to pay 90 minutes in midweek and therefore become a risk for the weekend, in which case I might be tempted by my incredibly wild suggestion of an Arsenal defender. Um, unless that happens, I really think I'm leaning towards a role. I'm really fed up with um, Zaha, if I'm completely honest, uh, that the yellow card at the weekend was just another annoyance that I have with him. Um, but I I just think a home game against Southampton, who he, he has this weird relationship with Southampton. I never really understand. For some reason, he gets very wound up by James Walpouse, which I don't quite understand. But he's either brilliant or terrible. Um, don't know what it'll be. Knowing my luck at the moment, it'll be terrible. Uh, but I just don't think it's a fixture I can get rid of him for. Otherwise, I would be quite tempted by Saka. Um, there's also the added thing that we could potentially play Pereira this week, who I think you're looking at for Bowen. Um, so that, that again, steers me away from using a transfer there. And then my forwards are fairly settled in terms of Tony having Wolves, Mitrovic having Everton. Um, I don't think there's any movement there. So, yeah, it's really whether um, Matt D is worth moving because he plays in midweek, but I'm hoping he doesn't. That's basically where I am. How about you, Tom? Yeah. But as I said about Zaha, Lucy, he's like a semicolon. You can happily avoid using it and have a lovely life without ever having to utilize it. And that's exactly how I feel about Zaha and FPL. There's a reason he's not in the annals of uh, FPL rates. He's just maddeningly inconsistent. <laughs> um, I'm probably going to do nothing, uh, same as you. Um, if is likely to be playing according to the ITKs or, you know, Guys who I trust, um, like James from Planet FPL, who's, who has said he does think he's going to play, and then Paul O'Keefe um, against Bournemouth, and that kind of helps me, really. And I don't really see much benefit in bringing Nastam Defender in just because it's got there's Chelsea next, and then I've got, you know, um, Anderson on the bench, the the the, uh, the Palace player against, uh, I think it'll be West Ham next week, so it's not really good enough. Um, really, all I'm going to be doing is doing nothing uh, trusting in my team, hoping the variance works for me. Because I've, I've got a good team together that I do believe in. It's just been a, a rough few weeks and luck has been on my side. So hopefully this week it will be on my side. Uh, it's a big decision in terms of whether I feel Pereira or Bowen. I'm probably likely to go with Pereira actually um, and bench Bowen this week. Um, I, you know, I'd be flirting with loads of things like the idea of Wilson in for you know, Mitro or Tony, but I don't think I'll be doing that. I haven't got any Arsenal FOMO, really. I don't feel like it's worth bringing the defender in, as I said. Uh, Saka for Bowen could happen. Um, I'm not sure it will. I think there's only kind of a, a one in five chance at best that it will happen. But my head could be turned if there is massive Arsenal FOMO. Um, I just, again, I'm not entirely sure that I want to do it. And I also have Mitrovic away at Man City um, in my game week 15 to think about. 
again, I may think, oh, well, I'll play Mitrovic then, hope he gets some change out of the likes of Diaz and the Kanji. That could possibly happen. Um, so, yeah, I, I might turn around and think, oh, okay. But I do like the idea of playing Pereira this week, uh, given how well he's been playing. And um, yeah, I think it might be worth just standing still, taking stock, getting two free transfers um, as my decisions hasn't, haven't been working out when I have tried to act recently and just see what I do next um, with the three game weeks to go because there are players like Cresswell, um, there are the Man United players um, and there are um, players like Wilson who I am interested in. Two game weeks left. I can hopefully bring them in next week, but this week looking quite good and hauling captain, obviously. Uh, yeah. And that's probably it, isn't it? Um, hopefully that was useful. Um, we'll be back next week on the Monday once more. Uh, appreciate that we were a bit one day late this week, but hey, what can you do? Thanks for listening. We were Who Got the Assist. You can find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL or at Lucy Hynett with two Ts. If you enjoyed listening to this, please like and subscribe to the podcast. For new listeners out there, if you think you'll be coming back, please hit that five-star rating across platforms like iTunes and Spotify so more people can enjoy the pod. Great. Thanks for joining me again, Lucy. It's been a while, but good to be back. I uh, hope we assisted you. Think about whether you should zombify your team and think about the next few weeks ahead. Uh, I'm sure we'll be coming back to this over <laughs> the next couple of pods because, hey, we are in Huntland after all now. Farewell. Have a good game week 14. I'll speak to you very, very soon. Goodbye. It's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.